It's No Holds Barred Sports Talk. On this edition of the Seco Sports Forum, our special guests include today Sam Bruno and Jim Tufts. Coach Jim Tufts is back with us. Coach, how's it been? Good, good. Glad the weather's warming up. Yeah. I'm like well, everybody else in the world doing a lot of yard work. Everybody in the family doing well? Everybody's well. We're all vaccinated and feeling better. Excellent, excellent. Well, I, I guess we'll start the show off with the, the topic that uh, topic du jour of last week, anyway. Uh, I have to first off say thank you to my wife for uh, putting up with me watching two nights of the NFL draft because we, and I even got her interested in, in where Hunter Long would wind up becoming a pro player. And uh, so, Hunter Long, congratulations. Uh, Blue Hawk alum and also Boston College alum uh, is now a tight end for the Miami Dolphins. Gentlemen, what do you think? And Sam, you've got the colors of Miami on today. Well, I do. And I thought about that. Um, you know, I, 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 I had e texted you, Sherm, that my prediction was going to be a Southern team between 51 and 89. Mm -hmm. And it hit right on the money. Miami mm -hmm. 81. I mean, I, I was very proud of my prediction there. Uh, I think it's going to be a good spot for him. Um, I think that uh, he has a good relationship with Brian Flores down there, a BC guy. So there's a connection there. And uh, he gets to go and now and uh, grow his hair long and go to South Beach. Uh, so, uh, you know, he's going he's gonna to have to learn how to surf, I guess. I don't know. Living in Miami. I can picture the, I can picture the surfing part, but I don't think Hunter's the type to let his hair grow long. But surprises, who knows? That's and, right. And Jim, what do you think about what happened last week? Well, that's very exciting. Billy, I saw Billy the other day and he said Hunter's already down there. Wow. He's already, already flown him down and, you know, he's going to work. Uh, and, you know, just, you just got to be excited for him. Um, you know, it's just a great story. He's worked really, really hard and, uh, and hopefully has a great career. Well, I think he will. I noticed uh, they did a lot of publicity from the Miami end of things. Uh, a phrase that we were all familiar with over the past years with the Patriots when they played the Dolphins was squish the fish. But now the new phrase is going to be fins up. That's the that's the official <laughs> Miami slogan, fins up. So since Hunter's down there, I guess we'll, we'll cool it on squish the fish, at least in this territory right here. Well, that, that was the first, the first reaction that I had when the pick was made that Miami Dolphins, he's coming to Gillette. I mean, there's going to be a game there. When the schedule is going to be released next week so that we'll know the game that's going to be at Gillette Stadium, whether it's going to be a, a fall game uh, up here or whether it's going to be a winter game up here. Uh, I, I think it's exciting that uh, there'll be an Exeter contingent in the crowd uh, that day. And not only that, but the fact the factor in that he is used to this weather where most of the Miami Dolphin players probably are. No. <laughs> so if it is a winter game, he's ready for them, you know. <laughs> he doesn't need the hand warmers. The second thing that came to mind when the Miami pick, of course, was Tua being quarterback for Miami. Uh, is that a good fit for Hunter? And uh, my feeling right off the bat was yes, because he can't throw the ball long. Hunter is going to be an intermediate receiver, 5 to 20 yards inside. So uh, he'll probably get some looks inside. And Tua's got something to prove this year. He has to come make, make, make his mark, too. So if he's smart, he utilizes every tool that they gave him in his toolbox. The rumor that is flying around the NFL right now, the rumor, this is just a rumor. You know, this is rumor central here uh, in my office. Rumor central states that 
Aaron Rodgers may be on the Miami radar in that he's shooting his way out of Green Bay. And the fact that he may want to go into the AFC, into a warm weather climate like Brady did, and potentially set up a Brady Rodgers Super Bowl uh, if he is in the AFC. So I think Aaron Rodgers, if he leaves Green Bay, is not going to go back into another cold water, uh, cold water, cold weather climate in Denver or something like that. Uh, I think he'll go to uh, a tax free state like Miami. You you had it picked though. You did say that you know where the about round three and and where the pick would be, and it was third round, eighty first pick, and uh, all was sitting there waiting. I I was assuming maybe a Jacksonville where they were going to go with uh, Lawrence as their new QB and and their young team and and maybe they'd go with a tight end to match him up with again going back to our interview with Hunter uh, Brady and, and Gronkowski type matchup. But it wasn't to be, and, and like you say, I think it's going to be an interesting matchup down there with the Brian Flores, BC alum, and uh, as his coach, and it, yeah, nothing but good, I think, will come. Hey Jim, do you, do you have any uh, as a as a former teacher of his? Do you have any Hunter Long stories you'd no. like to share? No, but you know, great success for that family. You know, his sister played uh, soccer at Stony Brook. His older sister and had great success and. His younger sister's playing soccer at Citadel. So, you know, uh, good good for them. Good for that, that group of kids. Um, and just just a good kid. One of, the, one of the things that I think stands out, everybody will tell you stands out about Hunter is he can run. And, uh, you know, Jeff Holmes, you, you look at a guy that size and uh, Jeff Holmes, who was coaching track, uh, used to have him run the 100, 100 and 200. And, and in the relays, and uh, you know, you don't usually see a kid with that physique running the sprints, but that's part of the reason he's a third rounder, is because he can run. So uh, you know, a multi-sport, multi-sport kid. The consensus was that Hunter would go second or third round. If I watched that first round up primarily to see where at number fifteen or wherever the Patriots were going to wind up. And it was at number 15, uh, the pick they had uh, originally attained. And then they went with Mac Jones. Now, was that a surprise to either of you gentlemen? Isn't Bill Belichick the smartest man in the world? We'll find out. Good point. Yeah, I, that Mac Jones pick at, at 15. I, I, I felt bad for Jones in a way because after the first three picks, and we said all three of the first three would be quarterbacks, and the third one that went to uh, San Francisco, you see – Jones on his on his phone texting somebody and it was kind of like a lost puppy at that point. <laughs> like, hey, wait a minute, that was supposed to be me, you know? <laughs> and it just kept going on and on and on. And eventually, you know, he dropped a 15 for the Patriots, which hey, uh I, I I think it's a good thing. I really think this is this is a chance for them. This year they'll have the transition year with Cam Newton and who knows, maybe they'll bring somebody else in. But uh I, I think Mac Jones has uh, some potential and obviously a connection between Belichick and Saban. Tell me the last Alabama quarterback that was really successful in the NFL. Not A.J. McCarron. Although he's still playing. He got signed again the other day. Tua's not there. Yeah, I was going to say, Tua's, Tua's a work in progress. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, I think Mac Jones, again, you know, we've, we've probably, it's a reach. Uh, but there again, you look where Brady was selected 
back years ago. Um, a, a nugget in the rough or, or overhyped, you know, potential superstar. We don't know. I think it's just like the Belichick versus Brady argument. Was Jones good or was it the cast around him that made him good? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Alabama just reloads every single year. And, you know, he's throwing the wide open guys all the time. So uh, I, not that I watched a lot of Mac Jones games, but more reputation. Again, it's going to be interesting this coming season, whether or not they're going to try to put him right into the throes of the, of the competition, or they're going to just kind of tutor him for at least a few games, I hope, uh, to get him used to what, what he's, he's in for. Because the game speeds up. I think we agreed with that when we were talking uh, about Hunter. That, you know, and he even said it when we were interviewing him, that, you know, obviously the high school game, is the high school game college it advances and now in the pros it's another step up the ladder so you know it's a learning curve for all of them and uh you know, we'll see time will tell time will tell so were there any surprises on uh, sam for the draft i'm sure you you know you you scrutinized everybody and all the teams so i didn't i, I it went pretty well pretty well the, the way that i thought it was going to be i was surprised that there were running backs picked in the first round uh harris and uh atn uh, went late in the first round. Usually running backs these days don't go until second or third round. And, uh, you know, I think the Patriots usually, Patriots had no surprises. They were able to trade up and get Barmore in the second round, uh, who's a who's a pretty good player. And even Ronnie Perkins, who they took after that. So no surprises in the Patriots. They didn't pick any names that you scratched your head and said, who's this guy? Uh, they were they were pretty much right on, right on line. Well, what I wanted to, bring up now is another Exeter Blue Hawk alum and also a member of the UNH Wildcat soccer team. Uh, Coach Tufts is uh, familiar with Jake Gould and uh, the UNH Wildcats uh, got into the uh, tournament down in North Carolina. Uh, they went in as a number 11 and unfortunately lost to the number 24 seed, Kentucky, 2-0. Uh, but Jake Gould was a big factor in that Wildcat team for the past four years, he this is four years in a row that he's been to a, a tournament, and uh, this is this is cool. This we we I want to say I want to preface this by saying we tried to get Jake to join us. Uh, we will in some future show. I will make sure the connection's made. But he's a busy man, and last week especially being down in North Carolina, and uh, we we're going to get Jake on the show too. But Jim, your your take on first the UNH soccer team, the season they had, and also Jake Gould. Yeah, Mark Hubbard, you know, again, who's the head coach, who again is a local kid, Oyster River High School kid, uh, Oyster River, Colgate, uh, came back to UNH as an assistant. Southern New Hampshire won a national title, and you know he's done a tremendous job of uh, building that program, uh, both with local kids and international kids, and just done a great job. Um, and um, you know, it was an article on the UNH website about. Uh, Jake Gould and then his roommate, uh, Linus Fallberg, being the uh, first two UNH soccer players to ever play in four NCAA tournaments. Uh, first time ever uh, that, that uh, kids had ever done that. And uh, so just, you know, Mark's done a great job of building that program and they've had tremendous success, um, particularly at Wildcat Stadium. I don't, I don't have the stat in front of me, but I think there's something like 43, one and three 
uh, in that stadium on that surface. Um, so really exciting, great team. Uh, and um, tough day the other day. Um, you know, and Jake, one of the fun things is, um, you know, Jake's not only a mainstay and a starter, Jake's captain. Jake's captain of that team. And, you know, what a thrill for a local kid to be captain of a team that's playing the NCAA tournament. Um, so, um, you know, really exciting for him. And, and it was hard this spring. I would text with him regularly, but you couldn't, you couldn't watch. You could watch on the computer, watch, but you couldn't watch, couldn't watch live. And that, that was really hard. So, um, you know, the good news is um, all those kids retain eligibility and uh, best of my knowledge, they're going to same group in the fall and they'll make another run. And hopefully we'll be able to be there. That is great. And so that, I wonder if that'll be a record if they do go to a fifth tournament with him. Nope, nobody's going to break that one. Nobody's going to break that record. I was wondering any other former Blue Hawks that you coach that are in college that you can give us an update on that you may be uh, checking in on? Uh, well, most of those kids, no. Most of that last group of championship kids uh, are all graduating sometime this month. Uh, and, okay. uh, you know, Jake's the only one that really had that level of success. A couple of the other kids actually uh, ran track and did some other things. Oh, okay. Um, but Jake's the only one of that uh, championship team, I think, that was still playing. Uh, um, you know, and as I say, the fun thing is he's going to play another season. Um, I talked to his dad today a little bit. His dad went down, and uh, it was – sort of a perfect storm um, against them down there. They, uh, Jake hit a bar, hit the crossbar, about uh, 10 minutes into the game. And they had a couple of great chances to take an early lead and didn't. And then um, there was a hard foul about the 13-minute mark of the game. And uh, referee pulled a red card, ejected a UNH kid, and they spent the next 75 minutes playing a man down. You can't do that at that level. You just. I can, I can remember you saying, Jim, always that how important that first goal yeah. is, that it changes the whole tenor of the entire game after that who scores yep. first. And, and especially in a tournament, in every game, but particularly in a tournament game where you know, you're talking about elimination and, uh, so I had watched a highlight film and they had several great chances. And then his dad said that he just rung one off the bar and didn't go. And, you know, that goes in, who knows, different, different circumstance, but you know, what a thrill for university of New Hampshire to be playing on the national stage four years in a row and, you know, playing the university of Kentucky from the, and, and, you know, winter goes on to play Wake Forest and, you know, it's just, I look back, you know, Jake is a freshman. He goes to University of Indiana, and Indiana's won the most NCAA soccer tournaments of any school. And Jake Gould scores a goal freshman year out of Indiana. So, you know, what a, what a great kid. And had a storybook ending to his high school career. You know, we, we won a title, kicks a field goal in overtime to send the football team to the championship game. And, Still getting to play. One of the things which doesn't tie to Jake, but it ties to the whole situation. 
what a challenging situation for college coaches and kids right now, and particularly kids who've graduated in the last couple of years, because, you know, normally in a progression, you've got kids going through and graduating. And so you're recruiting the next group coming in, next group coming in. Well, you know, they've got on campus in some of these situations, take UNH soccer, take basketball, take hockey, where kids aren't leaving. You know, they've retained their eligibility. So you've got five and even six classes of kids that have been recruited to play still on campus. A lot of those freshmen might not see the light of day. I also don't know what the status of scholarship money might be. I mean, is it only good for four years? Or now that they're playing a fifth year, is there still going to be funding available for for students? Some students may not economically be able to stay. Right. But I think they're... I think for some of these kids that are there, uh, they're going to start grad degrees. They are, they are retaining some of that money, and they are, yeah. And so now, you know, where's the money for the next? You know, you can't have six classes of kids on scholarship. Just a screwy year. I mean, it's just what what everybody has had to go through the past fourteen, fifteen months uh, in 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 changing their normal routine, their normal way they do things has been totally turned upside down. So we, I guess we just throw out the rule book now and hopefully when we hit September, things might be back to normal. Can you imagine being a coach? Can you imagine being Brad Stevens or Bruce Cassidy or um, Mark Hubbard or any of these guys? You know, and used to always when they left the locker room say, mind, mind your P's and Q's and Make sure you know where you are and, you know, you're always thinking of the issues that teenagers are faced with, but now they could simply be out having a cup of coffee with the wrong group of kids and somebody gets sick. Season over. One thing about soccer, I did want to ask you about the UNH team. Uh, Their goalie, uh, Robles, now will he be coming back next year? I believe so. Okay, so that'll, that'll give him a little leg up there in goal. I think everybody is coming back because I don't think they counted this as a real season. And and that was a challenge. And to just, so they had 36 teams down there in North Carolina. Several of those teams, particularly the ACC, played a fall season. So they determined their conference champions who qualified for the tournament in May, finishing their seasons in November. Again, you know, unprecedented. This this COVID year has been totally turned everything upside down. Now, another sport I know that is near and dear to your heart, uh, Coach Tufts, is, is hockey. And I want to have you talk about the Bruins. You brought up Cassidy, the coach, a few seconds ago here. What, what's your take on what's happening with the Bruins? I think they're in great shape. You know, I, I really think uh, um, Sweeney, just huge, those traits that he picked. Picking up uh, Taylor Hall has made uh, the Krejci line with Smith and Hall, and Krejci is just as productive as 
um, the, the Bergeron line. And uh, the defenseman Riley's been tremendous. And he, they've really solidified. They've got four decent lines, which you need in the playoffs. Um, Rask is going to be fresh. And he is, you know, at the end of the day, he is one of the top goalies in the game. And then uh, Swayman, the kid from Maine, uh, has really come on. And I feel badly for Yuroslav Halak because I think he's going to be odd man out. And again, no fault of his own, but this kid from, uh, he's essentially from Alaska, but played at the University of Maine. He's a real deal. So they're going to get goaltending. They've got essentially eight NFL, NHL ready defensemen and four productive lines. So I, I think they're in great shape and they've got to be because that division uh, with the Capitals, the Islanders, and Pittsburgh, it's, that's a, those are going to be, I think they'll all be seven-game series. And it'll be a battle of attrition, but I think the, the Bruins are poised for a good run. I, I want to ask Jim one more question about the hockey playoffs. How are they going to handle the Canadian teams? So you've got the four divisions of eight, which I think was great because the Canadian anything you read or listen to, you know, the Canadian teams have always been in different divisions. So up in Canada, it's always been a great debate about were the Maple Leafs of the Canadians in the East really better than Edmonton and Winnipeg in the West. Well, now they're all in the same division. So no more talking about it. And, yep. uh, and a lot of people attribute the uh, Canadians firing Julian to the pressure on the Canadian teams to be the best Canadian team. So anyway, they're going to, the playoffs, you now, you do just like in high school football, you stay in your division. So the four teams okay. in the East are going to play each other. So the four Canadian teams are going to have a playoff and one of them will come South. Just one. They will. Okay. It will be one of the Just one. semifinalists, essentially. Yeah. And, and and I'll go back to, so, you know, it's, take, take the Bruins and the Capitals, because I think it'll come down to those two teams. They've played eight games in the regular season. I think four of them have been overtime games. They got one to play. They played seven. They got one more. I think four of them have been overtime games. Now they may play another seven-game series. That's 15 games. You know, that's really – you get to know each other. You get to really – you know, so that's going to be going to be a tough road because those are four good teams, but it's going to be quality hockey. I want to ask you guys about the Red Sox. So, you know, at the beginning of the season, everybody gave no chance, and they're they're leading the American League East as we speak. And and uh, after a dismal start to the season, so give me your take on them, Jim. But I, I also want Jim to tell take me off the ledge about this tenth inning situation. Take hockey. So hockey's gone to the three on three, and. Um, it's pretty exciting. I mean, it drives me crazy. Sometimes they come out of the zone, they go to center ice, but they're just trying to create, they're using the whole ice to create a two on one somewhere and spring somebody. So it's pretty artistic and it really is pretty exciting. 
in those five minutes of overtime, three on three, there are times that they'll go five minutes with a whistle or maybe two whistles. So it's great hockey. <clears throat> so compare it to college hockey where they stay five on five and you get an overtime, like this year's college hockey, they had a five overtime game, five on five. So, you know, would you rather see, and I, I look back on some of the NHL had Edmonton and Boston, five overtimes. So you essentially play almost two complete games. They're exhausted. Is that better than a free-flowing three-on-three? Let's get it done. Um, New Hampshire high school uh, field hockey, when they, when they go to overtime, instead of 11-on-11, 11 11, they go down to 7-on-7. Seven seven. And you talk to the field hockey people, it's pretty wide-open, exciting play. And there's been a lot of discussion about should – boys soccer and girls soccer go to those seven on seven and open up the game and have scoring opportunities. And so you're creating scoring opportunities. So is it better to put a runner on second base and be playing for that run and the, the opportunity for a run, or is it better to keep marching in relief pitcher after relief pitcher and go 18 innings where you end up with a position player pitching. Right. Well, I, I suppose as long as guys are still swinging for the fences on every at-bat. See, and that's the part of baseball that has lost me. Somebody, somebody came up, I was listening to a talk show the other day, that there are three times more strikeouts than base hits. And, and I'm tired of why, you know, I love, I love kids putting balls in play and taking a little something off the bat and putting the ball in play instead of this launch angle mm -hmm. and a strikeout. And they were talking about, they were talking about Ted Williams striking out 40 times in a season versus guys now that start strike out 40 times in a month. Right. right? And, and that's the piece of baseball that I, that I've become disenchanted with is that a strikeout doesn't mean that much. And I just got to launch the ball wherever it goes. And I love seeing guys that have three and four hit games and putting the ball in play. And, and just, I, that's the part of baseball. I don't mind putting a guy in second base and having it be a scoring opportunity. The part of baseball that has become less interesting to me is launch angle and not putting the ball in play. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of these pitchers, what gets me is the name brand pitchers are going down, dropping like flies because, you know, their arms just wear out. And uh, Tommy John, what was way back, one or two players, maybe a year or now it's, it seems like several every season are going down for Tommy John season. And we're talking big name stars. Uh, I, I think if they just would just take a little off the ball, you know, everybody's trying to throw it a hundred miles an hour or, or curve balls and sliders and everything. 
they deaden the ball this year, supposedly. So I, I can't see if a guy's tricky at, at high 80s, early 90s, you know, maybe his arm will last a little longer. There's got to be, there's got to be some give and take there too. I'd rather see him put the ball in play, as you said, Jim. And, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with swinging, swinging at a pitch and hitting it and seeing if somebody can catch it out in the outfield or maybe even the infielder, you know, there was a time 15, 20 years ago that, you know, you, you've heard the term Mendoza, Mendoza line, Mario Mendoza of the Yankees was hitting 200 and everybody was just aghast that, oh my God, how could he be in the lineup hitting 200? I'm looking at lineups now that four or five guys are hitting below the Mendoza line and are still in the lineup just because they have the potential of hitting a home run. I'm just scratching my head at that right now. Yeah, but Sherm, to your point, we're talking about the Sox and I read this, I think in the Globe the other day. It's the Red Sox top five hitters have production-wise, when you talk about average, OPS, and on-base, are the most productive five guys in baseball, which is awesome. You know, with Hernandez, Verdugo, Bogarts, Devers, and Vasquez. Their bottom four are the least productive in all of Major League Baseball. And that, and I think it's going to change. I think you're going to see some new faces and some new bodies. But to your point, Sam, it, it, to see a guy hitting 112, you know, and they, they told us, and, and I was a Jackie Bradley Jr. fan, and, and they told us he couldn't play in Boston because he couldn't hit. Well, he'd be pretty productive in the bottom of the order right now. If he was hitting 230, he'd be a star at the bottom of that order. Right. Now, you are keeping busy, Jim, on uh, the lacrosse field as an official. And uh, I, 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 I see a lot of it on TV now. It's getting coverage on, uh, especially uh, right here in, in New Hampshire on Channel 9. Uh, to a layman, give a, a thumbnail of the game of lacrosse. Yeah, which is great because um, I was a baseball guy. You know, I uh, coached at the high school for a while, coached Legion, um, and did the whole route. So I was a baseball guy. Billy Ball and Dave Shorn got me into uh, lacrosse and officiating. And um, it was a great pickup for me in the spring. You know, when Kyle went off to college and playing baseball and a career. And so I, it was great. And so, and it was relatively easy to pick up because. It's a combination of soccer, hockey, basketball, um, and all those things. You know, a lot of the movement's the same. A lot of the picking is the same. A lot of the um, strategy defending and attacking is the same with different skills. You know, instead of a puck and, and you know, moving off the wing and um, moving in three, creating two-on-ones and three-on-twos, uh, instead of a puck, you got a, a stick and a ball. Um, basketball, you come over, there's a lot of, I'm going to come over and set a pick for you, and you're going to run off the pick and become free so you can go to goal instead of going to basket. Um, so it's it really is a great combination of soccer, hockey, and basketball, um, and the movement and the teamwork 
and the coordination multiple, you know, you, you had 10 guys on a field instead of 11 guys on the field in soccer. And so it's, it's a great combination of all those sports. And uh, so I, it was relatively easy for me to pick up once I learned the rules. Jim, I just wanted to find out, are, are you doing uh, uh, New Hampshire high school? Are you doing prep schools, doing any college for lacrosse officiating? So I'm not doing college, but I'm, I'm doing both private school and uh, New Hampshire high school. And, and, and are they still taking COVID-19 precautions? Some games, all kids are wearing masks while they're playing. Uh, some, while they're playing. Some games are not. Uh, the private school level, the schools are all testing. You know, like Phillips Exeter, kids are still testing twice a week. Uh, and for us to go in and officiate, uh, we're testing as well. Two-minute drill time, gentlemen. Uh, Sam, do you want to kick it off? I was just going to talk a little bit about the Kentucky Derby. Um, I was glad to see that the Derby was back this past weekend. I'm a big horse racing fan and glad to see uh, some of the pageantry and some of the uh, crowd and some of the excitement around the Derby. And uh, I think they did a good job uh, covering it on the air. And uh, uh, certainly uh, Bob Baffert winning another one uh, certainly was no surprise. Uh, I was surprised that the, the horse was 12 to one. Uh, I wish I had had some money on it, <laughs> but uh, uh, I did have the second horse though. So I was glad that that, that situation was there. So, uh, but I was glad to see it back and I'm looking forward to the, the Preakness coming up uh, in another week. So uh, uh, congratulations to those folks. Don't bet against Bafford, man. That guy, he's just got the magic. Coach Tops. Yeah. You know, again, to reiterate uh, what we've kind of focused on today I'm, I'm really proud of the Exeter High kids. Um, you know, Hunter living his dream now and making it to National Football League. Uh, Jake being captain of a team that's gone to the NCAAs four years in a row. And then I think the next one we're going to have on the radar is probably going to be Cody Morissette. Because um, June draft, um, I won't be surprised to see him in, uh, you know, one of those – I don't, I'm not going to make a prediction. Maybe I'll go top three, Sam. How's that? Okay. Going to the top three rounds. Uh, I think Cody is going to have a re real chance to play pro baseball. And, uh, you know, he's had a great career at Boston College and uh, put himself in a, a great spot. And I think he's going to be our next Blue Hawk that we're going to be uh, talking about. Uh, and good for the kids. Well, it's interesting. I was just going to mention that they have realigned the minor leagues this year. Uh, they've cut out a lot of teams now, and now they just have a triple A, double A, high single A, and low single A. And then there's an, a Northeast region, a Southeast region, a Midwest region, a Western region with a number of teams underneath those umbrellas. So uh, there are fewer teams in the minors right now. So uh, being able to be selected and go to a minor league, uh, team uh, certainly will be a feather in his cap if he gets into that of uh, the fewer picks that are going to be going into the minors yeah big big year for uh, Exeter Blue Hawk alums uh, not one but two going into the pros so 
Hunter's going to do well, and, and I'm sure Cody will too. They're both determined and the focused in, in their respective sports. My two-minute drill, congratulations again to Hunter Long. Uh, you know, we, we've been rooting for the kid for a long time, and I think that's a good fit down in Miami and uh, all good things coming up. And we'll be looking for a bus trip down, plus Sam mentioned earlier, bus trip down to good old Foxborough <laughs> to see Hunter play in the future. So on behalf of the team here today, Sam Bruno and our special guest, Jim Tufts, this is Sherm Chester inviting you to join us for our next edition of the Seco Sports Forum. Be sure to subscribe and hit the bell to get notified about new episodes of the Seco Sports Forum. Follow the Sports Forum team behind the scenes on our Facebook and Twitter pages. This is Sherm Chester inviting you to join us for the next edition of the Seco Sports Forum.